Hello and welcome to the Groove Sofa podcast. I'm Alice. And I'm Lucy. And together we want to invite guests to come and share their grief with us. Our aim is to cover a whole range of grief from a whole range of people. We're sorry for your loss, but we are glad that you have found us. Thank you for listening to the Groove Sofa podcast. In today's episode, Emma talks about her mum who died suddenly one morning when Emma and her sister were getting ready for school. She shares how she blocked out a lot of emotions that later surfaced when she went to university and struggled severely with anxiety. Emma speaks of how journaling, fitness and starting her own grief page has helped her manage those feelings. You can find her on Instagram at thegirlwithgrief. I'm Emma, also maybe known as the Girl with Grief on Instagram. I am a 25-year-old that lost her mum 10 years ago, well, 10 and a half years ago now. I my, lost my mum very suddenly. Um, it was a normal day for us. We were just casually getting ready for school when my mum collapsed upstairs. Um, and that was kind of when our life changed and forever. Turned out that she actually had did have a cardiac arrest, but obviously we didn't know that until the post-mortem and everything else came through. Um, so yeah, today I'm bringing the story of my mum. Gosh, so you would have been, did you say you were 15 when that happened? Yeah, yeah, 15. My sister was 17, so we were both very, very young. That is so young. And so that day then, you were just, what were you doing? What what happened? Yeah, so I think it was a Thursday. I remember it, quite, I remember it being really, really sunny. It was like a summer's, a summer's morning. Mm. And we hadn't long moved into a house with... Um, just my mum and my sister, because my mum and dad split up a few years before, but we had just moved into our new house. And me and my sister were just, I think my sister was eating, I was eating Cheerios, my sister was just doing something anyway. Um, but we had, my mum always drove us to school. So she went upstairs to brush her teeth and get ready so we could leave to go to school, like just any other Thursday afternoon, uh, Thursday morning. Mm. Um, and then all of a sudden we just hear a bang. And me and my sister looked at each other and we were like, what what was that bang that was a pretty hefty bang so my sister shouted up the stairs are you okay mum and we didn't get a response and we were a bit like this is weird so my sister's ran straight up the stairs um and she screamed and I mean <laughs> I've never heard a scream like it call 999 now and obviously in that freak moment I didn't run up the stairs to see them I got on the phone to 999 and ran to my auntie's house and she lives probably about eight doors up like it wasn't far at all but she said that when I got to my auntie's house I was still on the phone to the um ambulance people and they kept saying to me what's the address and I was like just track my phone I don't know the address I don't know the address just track my phone track my phone so luckily obviously they can do that and they could obviously hear I was distressed so they um I tracked the phone anyway but when I got to my auntie's front door she was already out of the door and I remember her looking at me and she was like I can hear you, what's gone on? I was like, I don't know, but we need to go back down to the house. Um, and then my cousins were, they weren't coming to school that day because I think they were going to a concert. <laughs> Wrong, but you know. <laughs> um, so then <laughs> they looked at me and they were like, uh, they, they just said, they were like, we could tell something was wrong. So anyway, we ran back down to the house. This all seems very long-winded, but it was very quick. <laughs> very, very quick. Um, so we ran upstairs and my mum was collapsed on the floor. My sister was trying to give CPR. But obviously at 15 and 17, none of us had ever learned first aid. None of us knew CPR. Yeah, it was a bit manic. But then we had this dog, Tess, and my mum was obsessed with this dog. And the dog was literally 
pacing up and down the hallway, pacing up and down the hallway. And they always say that animals can like know when something's gone wrong. And that was when I realized, I was like, this isn't right because the dog is acting very, very strange. So my auntie basically told us to get out. Luckily, she does know CPR. Um, but later on, we realized that the time my auntie got there it would have been too late anyway. I'm not sure if anyone's listened to the episode of my sister, but she said that she heard my mom, uh, she's, when she was trying to give CPR, she gave the, um, she heard my mum cough. And obviously later on, now we're older, we understand that that was actually her final breath she took, um, which is devastating for my sister. But uh, yeah, there was nothing else we could have done. But obviously this is all happening, going mental. Obviously we didn't actually know this. So we've been rushed off to the hospital and, but I remember we were put into this tiny, tiny room of this white walls, no windows. Like it was just horrendous. And my dad met us up there. Um, so it was me, my dad, my auntie and my sister in the little waiting room type thing. And it felt like hours, but it must have literally been not long at all. And this doctor and nurse came in and I remember the nurse's face so clearly because she looked so, so young. So she must have been a newly qualified um, nurse. And she was the one that had to break the news to us. And she just looked at us and she was like, I'm sorry, she's not made it. And we were, we just looked at each other and we were like, what? I actually Mm -hmm. ran straight for the door. I just ran out the room and didn't want to be near anyone, which is looking back on it. I find it a bit weird. I literally just, my body had no control. I just you ran. Fight or fly, like you just yeah, like have to respond. Do you? So you're just like, oh my god, this can't be real. Let me escape this situation. Yeah. So it was like, where am I running to? Like, what am I doing? But I just literally just ran. Um, and I remember my dad tried to grab my hand, and I just turned around and just literally pulled my hand away and just went. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was just it went from being a completely normal Thursday morning of us eating our breakfast to go to school to within half an hour being told that your mum's dead and you know when it's just like this can't be real like your brain just does not process any of it you're just like what is going on yeah Um, I mean just here I mean I've I've listened to your your podcast your new podcast that you've started but like hearing you say that now it's just it's so heartbreaking it really is and even though you know everybody's story or what happened is different you're probably the, the the closest sort of story to what happened to my mum and like you know we're a similar age and it's just that that absolute suddenness so my mum had a heart infection but it wasn't you know pre-diagnosed and it's just that suddenness of being there and being gone and you know being so young and just it's just absolutely heartbreaking it really really is um yes yeah, so you say that with your your mum had the um heart condition that was undiagnosed um so obviously did you find that out after the post-mortem or did you find out when did that found out afterwards after she died she had to have a post-mortem and I remember I guess I guess when there's like a sudden death they check for certain things and I, I guess most of the things are things like cardiac arrest and after the sort of first lot of testing they said they didn't know what had happened and they had to take her heart for further testing and that was when we found out it was a heart infection. But I think it was sort of as immediate as, you know, a cardiac arrest. I don't think yeah. there was any sort of pre, I don't, I don't know, it's really bad. I should know, but I, I, I don't, I guess I was just, you know, young like you and, and didn't really look into it too much. Um, yeah. I 
think that's what we found difficult because obviously it was so sudden and it was actually a cardiac arrest that did kill her. Mm. But once we had um, got the post-mortem back, um, it turns out that she actually had um, a really rare cancerous tumour on the heart. Um, so mm. there's like four parts of your heart and three of them mm. was completely filled with this cancerous tumour. Um, and about three weeks before she died, um, I was on a school trip and um, my sister had said, mum's going to pick you up, but just to let you know, she's already run down really ill. She's got a chest infection. So when I got back, I was like, oh, what's gone on? And she was, she had been given an asthma pump by the doctors and she just said, I've got a chest infection. Um, it should clear up. But the three, week, three weeks went by and she was still had this slight cough. But to be honest, when the doctor tells you you've got a chest infection and taking antibiotics, we thought nothing else of it. She thought Absolutely. nothing else of it. Um, mm-hmm. So then it was only then when we got the postmortem that it did show that actually she did have this cancerous thing. So then it kind of, you feel guilty that, we didn't kind of know beforehand and could have done anything about it. And like mm. when we first found out there was me and my sister were obviously very, very angry at the doctors. Um, mm. Actually our whole family are really angry at the doctors Like you should have been able to see something, but the more like research we done into it and stuff, it was just like, actually, even if we did find this cancerous tumor three weeks before, nothing was going to save her anyway. So like at least there was no, on her behalf, there was like no suffering. It was very instant, which, brings comfort to me now but at the time I was just so so angry like well some sort of treatment could have saved my mum and none of you realized um, you know what listening to you I just resonate with so much that you say I really do and that that sort of anger as well I can I can understand that you know and it's just because you're so shocked and you're so confused you're, you know you're trying to find out whose fault is this you know why has this happened to me whose fault is this and you're trying to find blame maybe 100 percent. yeah you're definitely trying to find blame on someone just because you your body just doesn't know how to take in this information like this was about two and a half weeks after uh, my mama died that we'd found this out so obviously we're still in this bubble of new life what is going on is it a dream is it a blur and then it's just this big anger that just takes over like someone's got to be to blame um but it's actually really sad because the doctor that obviously did have to break the news to us and didn't um was my mum's doctor he later died of um a really rare cancer the year after so I think when we found out that it really got to me and I was a bit like oh now his family are going through what we're going through and we were angry at him um mm. gosh that's mm. really difficult isn't it yeah so we were just young angry kids but like when you look back on it older it's just like we should never have been angry it was never anyone's fault yeah that's really hard though because you carry that throughout your life you know when somebody dies really suddenly there will always be questions mm. and you know in a sense you've got some of the answers that, that you needed but you also nothing justifies losing your mum like that when you're 15 or at any point really just somebody mm. being alive and then ceasing to exist moments later it's just too hard for the human brain to really understand and process yeah, it's just... You've spoken a little bit on your podcast about kind of dreams and the mental health side of things and how it's impacted you throughout the last 10 years. Would you mind sort of sharing with us the, those days, you know, the difficult ones and, and the way that it's impacted on your life? Yeah, so I, I'm very open about the mental health side of things because I did bottle it up for many, many years. And I think now I am... Um, now I've spoken about it a lot more people have approached me and I feel like if I open up my sister started to open up which was one of the main aims for me and just getting 
my whole family talking so that's why I'm really passionate about it mm. um so I kind of bottled it up for the first I would say three or three years I really did just I'm the strong one of the family I always have been I need to be strong for my sister I need to be strong for my auntie um like my sister was very 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 close to my mum they worked together so I was like I need to support her my auntie's just lost her sister and now taken on two kids I need to be as strong as possible so it doesn't make it difficult for her um so I just kind of put my this mental block up of anything that happened and I was just like right stay strong whatever and then it wasn't until I obviously I had my bad days like we all do but then it wasn't it really hit me when I'd moved to university um so I moved halfway across the country and in the first year of uni I think it was just kind of like I haven't got to be strong anymore for my family like they don't know like they're not here to see how I'm reacting so I don't need to put on this brave face um so I think that was when it really got to me and I kind of it got to the point where I was my anxiety went through the roof um like I couldn't even drive back from uni without thinking I was going to be in a car crash or if one of my family members didn't answer the phone I was determined that they had fallen and hit the head and died like it was it's it is very irrational and I still get it now but when you've had lost someone so suddenly it's just something that's all I believe it's something that will always play on my mind um however like I work on it a lot now but I do think if someone doesn't reply to a message for what half an hour my instant response is what's happened rather than oh they're busy yeah um so yeah it kind of did take over my life in uni oh my first few years at uni um and I just yeah I would say I kind of did that was my rock, like hit rock bottom point and that was when I realized I need to talk to someone so I did reach out to the uni counsellors um but I'm not gonna lie they were pretty useless there was this long waiting list which there is which I do understand but there was like there was no initial when I sent them the email there was like a little initial contact but otherwise it was just like okay wait six weeks and we'll see you then so then there was one guy that I was really close to in uni and I did open up to him but I would say he's probably the only one that I truly opened up with and came out and said how I was feeling and it did get to the point where I was lying in bed one night crying myself to sleep and I was like it crossed my mind would it be easier if I wasn't here Mm. um and I wouldn't say I've ever thought about actually acting on that but that thought did go through my head which is obviously a big concern um and the fact that I felt that I couldn't talk to my oh my family always there and they would have always understood but because I was always the strong one as they always said um I didn't want to open up to them and say how I was actually feeling um that's why I'm very against this word labeling people strong at the moment because I just feel if I wasn't labeled that strong figure in the family then maybe I would have opened up to them earlier yeah um and I don't want anyone to feel if they are labeled strong to feel that they can't talk because the strongest people in the world bloody everyone has feelings everyone's got emotions and life's tough so it is yeah that's really uh it's just admirable for you to be able to speak so honestly about about those struggles I know that lots of people in the grief community struggle especially after losing losing parents at such a young age or experiencing grief of any kind at such a young age because it makes everything really scary and that grief anxiety that you talk about is overpowering like it's it's unbelievable how much you can stress and worry about you know somebody not replying to your messages or 
not picking up your phone calls or even like you say you know am I going to get into a car crash as I drive home today um yeah I think it became a problem for me was when uh so my niece was born and obviously um my sister asked me to be birthing partner because my mum wasn't here so obviously I was birthing partner and everything was okay obviously during the birth I was a bit like oh god like bit anxious then but obviously that's I feel like that's completely natural Mm. um and then it wasn't until my niece like we started like um feeding my niece or bottle feeding and stuff like that and I couldn't give her a bottle I was really like oh my god what if she chokes on the milk then she started actually um obviously weaning or whatever they call it and I could not be in a room when my sister gave her food like Mm -hmm. the anxiety that went through my body and my sister was like what is wrong with you that I think someone was like oh give her this and I was like she can't eat that she's too young and they were like what and I was like and I remember we were actually at a family we were all together my family and my auntie said to me what's going on Emma and I was a bit Mm -hmm. like oh now I need to mention I was like my anxiety has been through the roof since the day Lily was born I was like it's played up like previously I said but right now it's like this tiny precious human I was like and yeah the heartbreak it'll be to lose a baby so suddenly just went over me so that's when it really did like take over and it was like I need to get a hold of this because I want to be able to feed my niece I want to be able to be around my niece and stuff like that um so yeah that was when I kind of started doing the research into anxiety and things like that and that was when I came across um how grief anxiety really is a real thing so at the beginning I thought I was just kind of alone in this feeling um but the Mm -hmm. more research I've done it really goes to show that it's so common um that people grieving do get this sort of anxiety of anything happening to someone else I can I can totally agree and it's it's really bizarre sitting and listening to you I feel like I'm almost listening to myself talking (laughs) I I really do you know I can I can relate so much to all that that you've said about anxiety and um literally before we started recording to Lucy with with you I was saying to Lucy do you know what Lucy sometimes I'm just driving around and I think I'm going to be in a car accident yeah and it's it's bizarre and it's really overpowering sometimes and it can be really really quite scary so what things have you done to help sort of manage those feelings of anxiety how how have you found help um so originally I obviously just started reading up on a lot of it um I started doing a lot of research um and then for me journaling was a big thing Mm. um I've kind of journaled from I would say two years after my mum died like the whole way through and that was just my own personal thing um which is kind of general how you're feeling today sort of thing Mm. um and then I realized that that started did helped get all the thoughts out of my brain onto paper so it kind of brought me back down to earth type thing like well what so I basically write about the thought I'd had and then I was like what's the worst outcome of this and how can you like approach it Mm. um so yeah I did kind of journaling was a big thing for me exercise for my anxiety has been a big thing well I say that uh, exercise has been a big thing now to get my anxiety but at the beginning I wasn't so healthy I was my anxiety was and my um mental health was let's just cover it up with drinking like I was just going out drinking at uni all the time I was just like just masking the feelings Gosh, it literally sounds exactly like me. <laughs> so, except I've still not found that exercise thing yet. I'm, st- I'm still working on that bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, the drinking is just—it's just what you do, isn't it? You just go yeah. to shop and you drink and you mask it. And 
yeah, yeah, that was fully it. It was fully just masking any feelings. You're just like, oh, well, and then you'd wake up hungover the next day and it would all just come rushing back and you're like... Ten times worse. Yeah, yeah. So it just needed to be sorted. But now I do read a hell of a lot of grief books, um, which I do find really interesting. And yeah, it's just kind of channeling my thoughts on paper. I also um, went and done some bereavement support training with Cruz. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so that was only actually, last, I think it was, yeah, last summer, I um, decided that actually I'd quite like to help people that are going through what I went through. Um, so I was like, well, obviously, there's so much extras to it. And obviously, I can always talk on my own experience, but there's so many theories and scientific evidence behind grief that um, training with them was really eye-opening. Um, so that, yeah, I think that was another thing to kind of, my anxiety a bit back down it was like well actually you're not alone on this everyone does get like this that's really great and you know you talk about how you were this kind of strong pillar of your family and you know people would come to you and I know you don't like that that term strong but I'm sure that that's still the coin that they the, the term that they use to kind of express who you are in their lives has that, you know, learning about grief and opening up about grief, has that supported those relationships and, and allowed other people to open up? Yeah, 100%. So my sister is someone that's always really struggled to open up and talk. Um, she's always been a lot more sensitive than me. Like I'm very, to the point, a bit raw, a bit honest, whereas she's very emotional, very sensitive. So when I started to open up about how I was feeling, it really got to her and she was just like, then she started opening up to me about every all aspects of her life, which was really comforting. And then I've had a few friends, well, I won't say that, I've had quite a lot of friends that have since lost parents. Um, and I'm always their first like point of call. And they're always just like, whenever it's, it can be like any time in the morning, they'll just send me a text and they know that I'll be able to reply honestly. Um, so it's really nice that my friends feel like they can open up to me. Because one of my good friends, April, she lost her dad. Um, when we, we were actually on a girl's holiday, um, when she found out the news of losing her dad um, so it was nice to be there for her then but it was recently her dad's 50th and she just messaged me she was like Emma she was like I've never felt grief like this before and I was like mm. it's because it's this milestone and things like this so it is nice that I can then recommend coping mechanisms and things like that because I said to her she had a lot of guilt around the funeral and things like that and I said to her well we can always like write a letter to him or we can hold our own little ceremony to him like bless you um so yeah no it is it is really comforting that relationships like that can be built up I think my auntie that still doesn't open up um which mm. is completely fair enough because it's not for everyone and she did find it a long time before she read my um blog obviously it was her sister and she did take on her sister's two children so it is a lot for her um but mm. eventually she did read the blog and yeah she does she is always says that she's really proud of it but she's someone that still struggles I think it's interesting when you're saying that people describe you as strong because it's something that um I get a lot too people always say to me oh you're so strong I don't know what I'd do if it happened to me and I sort of think to myself well yeah neither do I I'm just sort of bumbling through it I think as well um the strong thing I think I do sort of consider myself as strong but also like massively vulnerable as well and there's these two sides you know there's part of you that is resilience you know you are marching on through but then there's just this part of you that's just this you know this 15 year old girl who's absolutely broken and I'm sure even now 10 years on you still feel like that young broken 15 year old girl 
Yeah, 100% there's always your life is broken your life is never going to be the same so yeah it does it does feel like I think my issue with it was that people labeling me strong made me feel like I couldn't talk and I wouldn't want anyone to feel like that Um, and I know my family would never mean it like that but the way it was the way I interpreted it was like oh actually I've got to be okay because I'm the strong one Um, but no I do like I know the way I've dealt with things has obviously been as well as can be but like you said, like, it's like people say to you, like, that you kind of planned and you know how to ride the yeah. wave. And it's just like, I have no clue what was going on. This is just day by day, like I'm even 10 years on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 10 years on. And it's like, yeah, it's still just can hit you at any point. And I'm still just like, one day I could be completely fine. And one day could be a really griefy day. Like, I'm Absolutely. just riding the wave like everyone else. Absolutely. Yeah. We spoke the other day, actually, me and Alice, about the way that people see their grief and whether they see it as a strength or a weakness and especially in in terms of kind of exposing their vulnerability because like like Alice said you know even if you think of yourself as strong you you know and I think when you've experienced a grief you recognize that vulnerability that comes with it and I personally believe that you know things like this you know us having a podcast and you having a podcast and you opening up and talking about your experience and sharing your vulnerability really allows for other people to share their vulnerability too and I think that's a really 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 strong trait to have to be able to speak educated as well you know having done courses having really you know read into grief not just kind of flippant remarks you are really trying to to teach and to educate as well as as well as you know share that vulnerability in that space for people to open up and I think that's a really powerful quality to have yeah I think it was kind of it all started because it was kind of therapy for myself it was like the more I understand it it's going to help me and then obviously in turn that's been able to help others yeah it, it is rewarding and I'm like I'm just glad that there is other people out there talking about grief on podcasts because I do feel it's so important definitely um you know each I'm sure you'll find this that different guests you have on and I find the same different people obviously they've all got different stories they've all lost different people in different ways and but grief is really unifying and talking about grief is really unifying so you spoke about some of your friends in recent years have you know been through bereavements and you've been there to help them going back to when you were 15 what were your friends like then and you know did they support you or did you just have to go through it on your own? Um, so my mum was a very, very big part of my life. And all of my friends knew her. Like all my friends would always be around my house type thing. So she, her loss did impact a hell of a lot of other people. Um, but at 15, there was... <laughs> so there was friends, I would say, I expected to be there a lot better than they were. Yeah which is hard to say because obviously I know at 15 no one else had lost their parents like they had no clue what to say to me or what to act but there is also that point it was just a bit like I remember one comment was oh why are you what, why are you still upset about that and it was just like not upset about my mum dying but I was just upset about something that was related to my grief and it was just a bit like these people do not understand at all yeah. um so some of my closest friends at the time I am no longer friends with or we have there's still still always to be a part of my life but I've drifted a hell of a lot yeah. mm-hmm. um 
but yeah so I would say that it kind of did get affected quite a lot I have got my very good friend Paige that has been there from the day my mum died from literally now her and her family have just been absolute angels and they've always Mm. always understood like whenever I'm just having a rubbish day like or even if I'm like a little bit absent on a group chat she'll message me like are you okay today like she's always been the one that has fully stuck by my side which I obviously appreciate so much but rather than friendships I would say relationships have been affected I feel like my I kind of have these I say big commitment issues now because I'm always like well Mm. I don't want to get close to someone because they're just gonna get taken yeah or or before committing to this relationship can you just confirm you're not going to die anytime soon yeah literally you you don't know that do you and like we've experienced that bereavement of the suddenness signing a disclaimer on the first day Um, (laughs) also like earlier you spoke about journaling and like writing things down and like writing down a thought let's say you were thinking somebody was thinking oh this is it you know it's going to be my sister next my sister's going to drop dead and you try to rationalize it but then when you've had it happen to you you sort of know that anything's possible so it's almost impossible to rationalize it because we're we're in this weird zone where you just think anyone could drop dead at any minute and it's just like well it just goes to show that life is too short because it has happened and it can happen to anyone like Mm. it can Mm. happen to us again it can we're always going to live with that fear. Yeah, absolutely. I have the same fear around cancer and it's yeah. just like everyone I know is going to get cancer. I'm going to get cancer. You know, I'm in a relationship and I'm planning to spend the rest of my life with this person, but I know that statistically one of us is going to get cancer at some point. And it's like, can I be in a relationship with somebody? Are they going to be able to support me through this diagnosis and I've already kind of like planned out this whole thing in my head because yeah. that's what grief does to you like that grief anxiety sits with you and whatever your scenario is I think you start to apply it to those those real life situations and those yeah. relationships and I think um I so me and my partner have been together for uh, two and a half years and so she met my dad and she had a very good relationship with my dad and I can't ever imagine that she was there right up until the moment that he died um and I really cannot imagine my life without that person in it had I been single I don't know if I'd ever be able to find that closeness with somebody because I I, I don't like I honestly my brain can't even imagine how difficult it must be to like be able to fully trust somebody (laughs) when I'm like well you know you you could just leave me if something really bad happens or one of us might die yeah I do feel that I um I feel with cancer that it's always so like out there these statistics are always out there so it's really in your face constantly um so I feel like that is tough because I a few years after my mum died um my mum's partner boyfriend at the time he passed away of cancer so the whole time I'd known him he actually had um he'd was in and out of hospital with cancer and things like that getting all clear and then getting it back so I do feel like when it's in I feel like cancer is really hard just it's just constantly in your face isn't it and it's like you do always going to prepare for someone in your family getting it yeah and the thing with your mum as well you know she had she did have cancer but she just wasn't diagnosed and so I suppose you've got that strange um we were talking to um Rachel actually on a 
a couple of weeks ago about the loss of her husband who died very suddenly but had been living with cancer for a while and so it was like when you're when you're bereaved I think you try and find a category for your grief to sit in yeah and it's hard to categorize it if it's two things at once like your mum's was yeah definitely and yeah it is I think because it was such a rare thing that we didn't know about like when I initially think of cancer I'm always just a bit like oh well they can get treatment and there is a possibility but then I also think back and think oh even if they'd caught my mum's cancer it was going to be too late anyway so Mm. yeah it's a tough one really tough one yeah that's really really tricky so Emma you've spoken about starting journaling for yourself which then turned into a blog and an Instagram page and now your own new podcast how have you found setting up that page and creating a community of your own so when I first thought about so obviously I've written the blog for a long time personally and then sent it out to social media to see and first of all the response I was not expecting like the amount of people out there that relate and I've also mm. got this big grief community. Um, like the support from it was actually like incredible. Um, so yeah, and no, I have found it really rewarding and really mm. comforting, um, like mm. to know that you're not alone and there is anyone out there to talk to. Um, but I think the first thing I originally came across was um, let's talk about loss. I was going to ask what was the yeah. first one you found. Yeah, so I think that was the first. Um, it was actually in lockdown when it was just, I think my grief was for it. Actually, was it before lockdown? It wasn't actually that, well, I would say it was only about a year ago type thing. So it mm-hmm. wasn't, it was late into my grief. And I was just like, still living in Bristol. And I was like, there's got to be stuff out there for this. Um, so just started having a Facebook search as you do. Yeah. And then that was when I came out to talk about loss. And some of the stories and posts that people put on there and things like that, it was just incredible. But I never actually made a meetup because of lockdown, which was really annoying. Um, so I do actually want to get involved in the meetups down in London. Um, I was going to say, are you going to join join the London crew? Yeah, definitely. Definitely plan to. So, yeah. And then my this other thing I came across was um, the Grief Gang, which most people have heard of and people listening have probably heard of. Um, if you haven't, go and check her out. But her stuff just really resonated with me. And her podcast was just incredible. Oh, and I so, yeah, just well. we. Amber's, Amber's story is quite similar isn't it her mum yeah. just sort of dropped dead quite quickly completely I think that's why it re- resonated yes. with me so much and I was just mm. so I reached out to her instantly and then Aww. we just started getting talking and things like that so yeah no I think I never expected it to be as big as it was like this grief community um, oh yeah it's absolutely huge <laughs> yeah it's mental like you just never you feel so alone at the time and then you put yourself out on social media and you're like oh my god there's literally millions of us all wanting to do the same thing which is so lovely and I find that really comforting and just it's like we're one big grief family it is it's so true and um I guess I'm similar to you really in the fact that I probably only found it I definitely found it before lockdown it must have been about 18 months ago I found it and then once you find one page we've said this on a few of our episodes now it's like a grief rabbit hole avalanche whatever you want to call it you just find so many accounts and it's just so uplifting finding all of these accounts and not feeling alone yeah it's mental and that was when like for example when I was listening to your podcast last week um they were talking about her niece and like children um being aware of death and things like that and that really touched me because I'm really got a thing for not shying away from talking about it and Mm. letting my niece know 
about her nat, uh, nat that's dead and stuff like that. So that podcast really touched me because the way they spoke about it so openly was just incredible. And that was a really emotional mm. one. But it's just like hearing different people's stories, you just kind of feel like it's just kind of a sigh of like kind of like a virtual hug basically it's just like oh I really feel what you're feeling Mm -hmm. I think also it's like finding because as you grow your grief changes you know as we get older we'll have kids probably or possibly and you'll experience all of that all over again and um, I've spoken to quite a lot of people who've been bereaved in their teens or in their 20s and then they've gone on to have children in their 30s and it's really the grief has really hit them like that trauma when they've had that baby you know listening to you speak about your niece earlier on I've heard that from so many mothers who have spoken about their bereavements and then how it really comes back when they have the child because you recognize your own mortality and you also recognize that you have you know the responsibility of a tiny human who seems so breakable <laughs> and it feels like so much so much risk is you know in your care and I think sometimes that's really tricky with with grief um and just managing those you know those emotions and uh yeah speaking about Gabrielle's daughter last last week you know she spoke so beautifully about it so it was it was a really lovely episode um yeah I think that was one thing that we didn't touch on so much earlier was the um dream inside of thing oh, yes. I think yeah. at the beginning yeah I'd, I'd like to touch on this because I feel like so many people could relate of course um, yeah that I have some of the most intense dreams of or at the beginning of my mum still being here and being alive I've had dreams of my mum being at my graduation and obviously this happened years after she had passed um so yeah at the beginning I felt that they were so intense and the next day I would have a really griefy day didn't want to talk to anyone and really found them days difficult after her appearing in my dreams but now it's kind of turned to this comfort and like she still does appear in my dreams quite frequently but now I see the comfort in it that it's like she's kind of coming back to say hello sort of thing or like things are going to be okay um so yeah I think you do I felt at the beginning stage that after she had appeared in my dream or something that was when my days would always be worse um but like now 10 years on I actually find comfort in it which is quite nice Mm, that is so nice when I think quite a lot of people do experience dreams um especially if you have quite vivid kind of my I've always had vivid dreams since I was a child and they've really um been very noticeable now since dad died and I at the beginning really struggled with my dreams because they were of him being incredibly poorly and Mm -hmm. they were really of those last days because we had that kind of slow run up to him dying and so it just was my brain going over and over again to try and process this part of my memory. Um, I was going to say that's like when they're in their final few days or on their final day like no one even if you were preparing for it no one can prepare you for that final moment of seeing the dead body and so I feel like that does live on in your dreams for quite a long time which can be very distressing yeah absolutely and actually you know now um nine months on I he doesn't come into my dreams anywhere near as much and when he does he is usually well and it's a really really nice thing like it feels 
it literally feels like a new memory that I've created with him even though he's passed and that feels really comforting I can completely see how you find those comforting moments and it's really nice actually to hear you say that she appeared in your dreams at your graduation and things like that um I I love the idea of of my dad being able to access me on those important days of my life and I'll I'll be really grateful if even in my dreams I can can dream of him being there yeah definitely because I think it is them tough days that you always think like they should be here and it is that part of you that is missing so it's nice to just kind of feel some sort of presence and I know not Ah. everyone believes in presence and them being in the spirit and stuff like that but yeah definitely I was gonna say um I'm going to rebrand you as the queen of advice (laughs) and I because I think you've had so much great advice and so much useful things um to say throughout this podcast and I know people who are listening not maybe to this podcast but to your podcast as well and any of the information you're putting out there if you could give somebody some advice um I wonder whether you found anything helpful when you were having nightmares and they were distressing was there anything you did that helped them or is it just something that you feel like you had to live through um I think at the beginning it was something that I did just have to ride honestly um yeah because at the time I was still quite young and I didn't know how to deal with them feelings and it was very much like I was just reappear right just reliving the funeral reliving the day she died and things like that so I can't yeah at the time I can't say I ever did anything to overcome them yeah I'd rather be honest than make up a make up a lie about that one if you can't sleep then I always feel like writing your feelings down or whatever you're feeling does do that and obviously like if you do wake up in a shock then just give yourself a moment to realize that just come back down to earth sort of thing if you could go back to when you were 15 when you'd first been bereaved and you know you you'd been you hid all these emotions for years and years what advice would you give yourself so the advice I'd give to my younger self was that it's okay to cry it's okay to be sad it's okay to be vulnerable and to show people that you're hurting but my overall bit of advice would be that you're going to be okay um like my mum will be proud of me whether she's dead or alive and even though you're going to have horrendous days that you feel like the world should end, you're going to get through it. And you can also be happy while grieving. Um, So yeah, just don't be too hard on yourself. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Grief Sofa podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review to help us reach new listeners. If you have enjoyed listening and would like to join us on the Grief Sofa, please get in touch on Instagram at the grief sofa or email us the grief sofa at gmail.com.